What's up, everybody? Welcome to another installment of Nuclear Barbarians. It is I, Emmett Penny, your Nuclear Barbarian, and I've got my buddy Noah back here again, because that is right, we are continuing our Synth Fuels deep dive. Today, we're going to be getting into the world of hydrogen. We touched on this a little bit before, and I think, Noah, correct me if I'm wrong, but we decided to do this one because we've been seeing a lot of stuff about hydrogen. And the thing that sticks out most clearly in my mind is Trudeau or someone in Canada saying that they were going to do some sort of hydrogen process and export it to Europe. And it's kind of clear that that talk is really a stocking horse for like LNG facilities, which the world sorely needs right now. But you and I were like, ah, we could stand to have more clarity on this. So that's where we are. Thanks for coming back. I'm excited to get into this. Yeah, I'm excited to to be here as well and greatly honored, of course. Okay, so last time we talked about like what hydrogen is, people, you can head back, it's just a couple episodes ago, into our discussion there to sort of get some, some ground under you. But we wanted to talk, or rather, I'm going to pester Noah with questions while he talks to me about how hydrogen is made, because we mostly talked about consumption and transportation last time. So let me ask you, Noah, how the hell do you make this stuff? Historically, chemically, the first race we had to make hydrogen exists in the form of reacting an impure metal with an acid that mm. would lead to the metal being oxidized and the hydrogen ions in the acid being reduced and being released as gases. And after that, we got like the fir first very inefficient hydrolyzers where you would put water with some sulfuric acid and some a little anode and a cathode into glass tubes. And then you would have forming the hydrogen and the oxygen on the anodes and the cathodes, respectively. Those processes didn't give you a lot of hydrogen, especially mm -hmm. when you look into incredible amounts of energy you would put in. I, I remember doing this as an experiment in university, and we actually calculated how efficient this process with those late um, 18th century electrolyzers were, and we were at 8%. So it's really inefficient. <laughs> but it's important for, for, for chemistry because at the first time, it allowed to produce significant amounts of hydrogen for a lot of chemical experiments. Mm. And But when really chemical industry needed to take off, what was needed was a process of turning main energy source at the time, coal, mm -hmm. into hydrogen. And that was done. And then you can do that essentially with all fossil fuels. You can okay. do that with coal, oil, or, or natural gas. You mm -hmm. can do this. It's, it's called steam reforming. So what you do is that you can that you put those the fossil fuels and react them with steam at high temperatures in the mm. 500 degree range and react them with the steam to release the hydrogen and carbon dioxide. Mm. So um, the efficiency of those processes is around 70%. And of course, they emit carbon dioxide. And you always have less energy in the hydrogen than you would have in the, in the fossil fuels that you were using. But the chemical industry needs hydrogen. Our modern mm -hmm. life would not exist without hydrogen to produce ammonia, to produce hydrogenated, hydrogenated fatty acids for stuff like margarine, for... Mm tons of chemical products for plastics that we need to be a modern society. So those steam reforming processes for the chemical industry were 
really important at the beginning of the 20th century. And those steaming reforming processes are currently also discussed in making blue hydrogen. This is something that comes up when we when is when it's talked about hydrogen. It's this hydrogen rainbow. So we give like every every possible way of making hydrogen a different color. Oh so right, yeah. So gray is the classical steam reforming where you just dump all the no yes gray is that where you dump all the carbon dioxide out in the atmosphere, and blue is where you would catch the carbon dioxide mm-hmm. from from those reactions and then try to store it underground. Hmm. And of course, doing this would add to the energy cost of it all. And you hmm. can't really always capture all of the CO2. So what you have is less efficient, but significantly reduced in greenhouse gas emission hydrogen. So this gotcha. is the classical process and the classical process with carbon capture. This is gray and blue hydrogen. And um, what's been existing for a long time, because people even back in the early 20th century used electricity, mainly from hydro plants where hydro electricity was in abundance, especially in mm-hmm. Norway, to make to make hydrogen from renewable electricity. So with hydroelectricity, because hydro is cheap and reliable, this is especially easy. Mm. And what people used were alkali electrolyzers. So those used water mm. infused with a lot of compounds to drastically increase the conductivity of the water. To, this would allow you to decrease. So this is a big problem. When you the amount of hydrogen you produce mm-hmm. in your electrolyzers is proportional to the amount of current you flow through. Since every oh. hydrogen ion has the same amount of charge and current okay. is charged per time. So what you would want in your electrolyzers is a lot of current with the least possible amount of voltage. That the theoretical gotcha. lowest possible voltage is 1.2 volts. So getting this voltage down was what drove the efficiency increases in those electrolyzers. As I taught mm. you, like the early processes were at around 8%. So those mm. ran at 12, 14, 16 volts. And getting those down to 2 volts, 1.8 volts, 1.6 volts, allowed hydrogen made from electricity to be viable, at least where electricity didn't came from coal. High right. Okay. So, so let me just ask you, how do you re- reduce voltage? What, what was it they did to bring it down? I don't know if that's a silly question. So, so the, um, the voltage, what voltage, basically, the way you, you, you want to have the same amount of current mm-hmm. flowing at a lower voltage, this means you have to reduce the resistance. So you have to increase your conductivity. The way you would do this is essentially increasing the surface area of the anodes and cathodes using better materials for those anodes and cathodes and increasing the conductivity of the water that you put in. So putting the alkali metals or previously the sulfuric acid into the water. Okay, cool. That was helpful. Thank you. So in those early versions in the, from the mid-18th century, you had small anodes and cathodes long distance apart and finding ways mm-hmm. to putting those um, anodes and cathodes closer together, increasing their surface area, but still not combining the hydrogen and the oxygen that you create at the same time, because if you combine them, they will react violently. So if you if you put those cathodes and anodes closer together, it gets more hard to separate the, separate those gases. And that is what, what, what limits this. Okay. Okay, cool. All right. So 
so okay so we've done what have we done on the radar we, we did gray we've talked about blue i think we're we need a few more green with hydro green with hydro okay tell me yeah green okay and then what's next is there another one so you could do the same way that you would do the the, the green with hydro with the alkali electrolyzers was mm -hmm. proposed basically for as long as we had those alkali electrolyzers is mating the green hydrogen the renewable hydrogen with wind and solar. Mm -hmm. But doing so will run into a very important problem early on. Mm. And that is what plates wind and solar also when we talk about making grid electricity with wind and solar. Mm -hmm. And that it's volatile and it has a low capacity factor. So what this will always lead to is the low capacity factor will lead to a low capacity factor of your electrolyzers. And it also um, will lead to your electrolyzers needing to do a lot of ramping. So many of those electrolyzers can't do that at all. Production following electrolyzers that can essentially do demand response in order to um, reduce hydrogen production as the sun dies or as windy, those are more expensive to build. And doing mm -hmm. this demand response that the electrolyzer needs to do following the production from the renewable source will also damage it. Mm. So this is what drives it. You have more expensive electrolyzers that are getting damaged faster and have and are producing less. So this is the difference. That sounds like a bad deal. This is it's extremely a bad deal. And all of those electrolyzers mm. will run into resource restraints basically as soon as we will mass industrialize them. This is the same what renewables and batteries are experiencing now. And all those electrolyzers will also be experiencing this in a couple of years or in around a decade if we now start to decide we want to do a lot of uh, green hydrogen from wind and solar. So this is something that I would like to, to emphasize what isn't being talked about even among people who are very critical of renewable, of wind, no, to be precise, of wind and solar mm -hmm. energy, is the following. Mating hydrogen from wind and solar requires electrolyzers that are a scarce resource in itself to run mm. on low capacity factors and experiencing more wear and tear. Mm. This is the thing. The, the, just the electrolyzer part of the making hydrogen process mm -hmm. will be four to five times more expensive when you run it on wind and solar wow. compared to hydro or nuclear. But especially you will run into those resource constraints. And even worse is when you will do what many people are proposing using peat wind and solar production to make hydrogen. This is this idea, so we have this an incredible amount of wind or solar energy for very mm. short times. This, for those times, the wind and solar electricity from those plants will be essentially worthless. Why can't we use it for it? So mm. this is their idea. We will use it to make hydrogen to store that electricity. But now you would be talking, taking the capacity factor from the electrolyzer down from 20 or 25% to like 5 or 4%. Those electrolyzers will be barely running ever. Ooh. And even when they will be running, they will run for a short time, will do incredible load ramps, and then be shut down again. Talk, talking Highly about, stressful. Highly yes, stressful industrial and, process. And, 
incredibly expensive. People who talk about mating hydrogen from peat, wind, and solar are either idiots or they are lying to you. They are <laughs> idiots or they are crooks. There is nothing in between because this is so ridiculous, so wasteful with resources and money, and so deluded mm -hmm. that you can disregard any person that talks to you about this bullshit about let's make hydrogen from peat, wind, and solar production. This is a completely different thing than mating hydrogen from wind and solar in general, where we would, slide, where we would throw away the overproduction and just choose, trying to use the average amount to get as much capacity factor of the electrolyzers. This will be expensive and wasteful in general, but using peat production for hydrogen is absolutely diluted. Okay. Okay. So there are a lot of questions I have about this. Like what, so it seems like no matter what, there's going to be a future for hydrogen. We need it. Yes. You know, there are going to be a bunch of different ways to produce it. I think if you're listening to nuclear barbarians, you can kind of guess and fill in the details on why nuclear is superior for this in terms of its reliability, its, you know, energy, energy density, et cetera, et cetera. What is it aside from the crook or dummy factor that makes these narratives around hydrogen so seductive, do you think? It's, it's a sense of iconoclasm that is inherent in, in the hydrogen. It's mm. like combustion of hydrocarbons, but without the carbon. Mm. It's like combustion with no CO2 emissions. Mm -hmm. And it is incomparable essentially with, with many of the fossil fuel infrastructure. <laughs> we often talk about like blending hydrogen in with methane, but hydrogen doesn't really dissolve with methane at all. So mm. using hydrogen as a fuel would require complete retooling of our energy infrastructure. Mm. In this sense, it is, it's much more similar to like battery electric stuff. That it, that it gives the sense of starting from a clean state using a completely different technology. And what, what people, especially people that feel guilty for mm -hmm. the large amounts of pollution that we are producing in order to survive and thrive, what they see more than a sensible solution, I think, is a more morally pure or a solution that at least seems more morally pure. And that mm -hmm. definitely exists in the hydrogen. And you can start off, or at least trying to start off making hydrogen before you solve like other issues, because you could start off with making the hydrogen from the fossil fuels. And this is also why I think large parts of the fossil fuel industry are in favor of supporting the hydrogen agenda. They can make hydrogen from their fossil fuels. Mm -hmm. And it would not require you to find like sustainable sources of carbon, which you would need for sin fuels. And you would not establish sin fuels that can really displace many of the refined fossil fuels like petrol or diesel. And you would always be um, handling this hydrogen stuff, which is always a more shittier fuel. So it's less, <laughs> it's less threatening for the fossil fuel industry. Mm -hmm. It's more morally pure for the activists. Mm. It pleases the people's desire for iconoclasm, and it's generally advantageous for politicians because it helps them to justify their plans with natural gas, which has been falling out of favor over the last couple of years. And we will des we des 
we desperately need to revive natural gas, definitely. Mm -hmm. But selling that right now is a hard pitch. So selling hydrogen is more easy. Mm, okay. And that's sort of the Canada example that I brought up yes. at the top. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So what do you think is the realistic future for hydrogen? Like, where do you see it going in the next few years? There is currently a lot of talk of, of making hydrogen with renewables. If we, if we look at what the and, and big plans are drawn up, mm. the EU has recently stated that they want to import 10 million tons of hydrogen from outside of Europe and want to make 10 million tons of hydrogen inside of Europe in the next 10 years. So if you would look at how, how much electricity would be needed to make renewable electricity, including overproduction, transportation, liquefaction, to make that amount of hydrogen, we would be talking about, excuse me, 500 to 600 terawatt hours of electricity for those 10 megatons each. So 1,200 terawatt hours of electricity combined. To put that into a context, last year in the EU, we had, I think, 500, uh, 650 terawatt hours of electricity mm -hmm. made from nuclear, which is our largest source of electricity in the EU. In the US, you had like 880 terawatt hours of nuclear, I think, and wind made a little bit more than 300 terawatt hours of electricity in Europe. So what they essentially plan to do is building in less than 10 years the same amount of wind and solar we built in the last 20 years just for hydrogen. And that combined added to the ridiculous amount of electricity from renewables they, put on, they want to put on the grid to drive electric cars and power heat pumps and replace coal. Wow. So even if we ignore the stuff about the electrolyzers, when we look at the plants of how much green hydrogen they want to make, those can't be met. The, the production, the build out of all that wind and solar capacity can't be done in general and especially not in Europe, which is currently facing a great labor shortage and will be facing an even more labor shortage as mm -hmm. a lot of baby boomers will be, retire very soon. Mm. And there are not enough millennials and Gen Z to follow their footsteps. Mm. So we will face a labor shortage of three to four million people in Germany in the next 10 years. Wow. Um, wow. And this is on the same order, same size roughly, that what we need to, to achieve the build out of all the renewables and of all the wind and solar that our government currently plans to achieve until 2030. So we are horrendously understaffed. We, can't, we don't have enough labor. We don't have enough resources for those incredibly labor and resource intensive industries that wind and solar are. Those targets won't be met. Mm. They are currently hitting their limits to growth. And by that, I don't mean their absolute size to which they can grow, but the velocity, but the, the change at which they will grow. They are hitting their limits to growth. They, are, they can't grow faster. And we expect them to grow significantly faster than they actually can. And this will horrifically backfire. Hmm. Especially when we look at the Canada deal, where Germany tries to get 500 kilotons of hydrogen from Canada, especially made through wind electricity, 
doing that would mean Canada would need to build just for this amount of hydrogen it plans to export to mm -hmm. Germany, the same amount of wind turbines that it has built in the last 20 years. Just for the export to Germany. And we, th what they stated is they want to see hydrogen flow into Germany starting in 2025. They, of course, don't plan that all of it starts to flow in 2025. Sure, but some. But but even, some. Getting, even getting some done or a significant amount done in 2025 will be hard. But yeah. the 500, realizing the 500 kilotons in the next 20 years with wind and so with, with wind in Canada, I am highly skeptical amount. Canada has, yeah. does not have the amount of labor that it would need to build that much wind on top of what the Canadian government already wants to build with wind electricity in their country. Right. Wow. Yeah. And I mean, there are all so many other factors to add to it too, like the, the rare metals markets, the general issue with issues with creating steel and stuff right now, you know, the, we're, we're going to have a lot of nagging issues moving forward for many industrial processes let alone some of these green goals. Of course. I think one, one issue that is the resource issue is currently talked about more than it was in the past. I think this mm -hmm. is, is coming to light pretty well right now. The land use and environmental impact issues of wind and solar have been discussed for quite a while now. What mm. I fear, also the, the capital issues, that this is, will be incredibly capital intensive and the Unlike nuclear, which is also capital intensive, we won't get enough out of it to, to make that capital investment count. Mm. But what I think I fear isn't just trust enough is the incredible labor intensity of building all those windmills and then also operating them. And this is something where I, I, I've seen that, especially the renewables around the wind sector, mm -hmm. like over underestimate overestimate how much labor is needed to run a nuclear plant mm. and i talked with i had a discussion with one of them it was a german one so he was proudly talking about how this 2.6 gigawatt offshore wind park that denmark wants to build will just use oh, 3000 right. people and i was like yes but 2.6 gigawatts is the grafenrheinfeld nuclear power plant in germany you know, mm -hmm. Grafenrheinfeld at Grundremmin nuclear power plant, which employed 600 people and made like two and a half times the same amount of energy. Right, yeah. So reliably. you have like, reliably, five times less people making more, more than twice the amount of energy. And this is just uh, to maintain the power plants. And it is the same with, with building those power plants. Well, one nuclear sector will use 10 times less people to wow, make the same amount of energy compared to the wind sector and even a terribly run nuclear sector like the one in France, which is incredibly yeah, has wasteful. all sorts of issues now. Yeah. Yes. I recommend listening to the appearance of on of Mark Nelson on the Decouple podcast. Yeah. But I think one issue is that they waste waste their labor resources. They use too many people to do too little. I think mm. that has several, several sorts of reasons. But when I look at how much people we need to run those incredibly large German nuclear power plant, which are currently growing extinct, compared mm -hmm. to how many people the significantly smaller French or American power, nuclear power plant use, mm -hmm. I, I fear that there's a waste of, of labor that we can't afford to waste. Mm. And renewables, 
the best renewables are even worse with conserving labor than the, the worst re best renewables are worse than the best nuclear worst nuclear in this sense. Wow. Okay. So what are what are we leaving out? What haven't we gotten to about hydrogen yet that we think listeners should know? Crown, red and white hydrogen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so let's do it. White hydrogen is pretty simple. It's a naturally occurring hydrogen. Yes, hydrogen sometimes occurs naturally as pure hydrogen. It's extremely volatile, so it doesn't do that very often. But mm -hmm. sometimes the rock can trap hydrogen and those hydrogen resources can be extracted. It's interesting, but don't get your hopes too high that this will save us. I think there is a project in Sri Lanka right now. Mm -hmm. um, yes, interesting. I think we should explore this. One issue could be hydrogen leakage. It's hydrogen right. can extend the life, the, the half-life of a certain greenhouse gases, but it's completely CO2-free. This is the white stuff. It's, it's yeah. not that important. What I see as not being talked a lot of, uh, enough about is turqua and red. Mm -hmm. So turqua is using methane pyrolysis. This is a process right. that was first used to turn natural gas into coke. Because mm -hmm. some countries could add natural gas, but turning it into hydrate metallurgical coke would uh, increase the value since uh, metallurgical coal has far more value than the energy stored in it. And it mm. also would give you hydrogen. So the methane pyrolysis in that sense would use the hydrogen, burn the hydrogen to, to get the, the coke and the energy in the coke. So methane is um, CH4, two moles of hydrogen, one mole of carbon. And what this idea is that you get the mole of carbon out there as a pure fuel and burn some of the hydrogen that is released as a waste product or use the hydrogen as a, hydrogen as a waste product. What is now being discussed, I fear not enough, is the reversal using the methane pyrolysis to turn mm -hmm. the methane into hydrogen and coke and storing mm. the coke. One advantage this has about, uh, over the blue hydrogen made from steam reforming is that this way you still store the carbon rather than releasing it into the atmosphere, but you restore it as solid coke which doesn't biodegrade, which will remain solid coke until a human digs it up again and burns it. So you can reliably store the carbon. And yeah. one thing that I fear far more in the inadequacy of blue hydrogen than we won't be able to capture enough of it at a too high cost is that we won't be able to store it reliably in the ground. And storing mm. the carbon will be much more reliable. The turqua hydrogen is less efficient than the steam hydraulic, the steam reforming process, because in the code is stored a lot of energy, which you would lose, which you mm. would accept losing to store it more safely. Keep in mind that storing the CO2, capturing and storing the CO2 will also be incredibly energy intensive. So I think in generally the blue hydrogen and the turqua hydrogen will be equally efficient. Okay. One problem with the methane pyrolysis, it, it requires to run at significantly higher temperatures than the steam reforming process. Mm. We're talking about um, 900 degrees rather than 500 degrees. So it's hardly possible to drive this process with nuclear. If we see an advance in high temperature reactors, we could possibly drive this process with nuclear process heat. Using nuclear process heat to make the turquo hydrogen will be much more efficient to burn than some of burning some of the hydrogen. 
mm-hmm. to get the hydrogen out. In fact, it's actually the most efficient process of turning nuclear energy into hydrogen is doing this. Because for a kilowatt hour of process heat from nuclear you spent, you be you get five kilowatt hours of of hydrogen of energy mm. stored in the hydrogen that is is released in this process. So. If not, you could possibly do this with nuclear electricity, since electricity can be turned into process heat of any degree. And even then, getting like five uh, kilowatt hours of hydrogen for mm-hmm. a kilowatt hour of electricity is a good deal. Because if you would yeah. use electricity, electrolysis, you would always get less. You have no CO2 emissions, since all the, or no direct CO2 emissions, since all the carbon is stored in the coke. But mm. you have some methane leakage. Okay. You would also have the methane leakage in the when using the steam reforming process. Right. All fossil fuels lead to methane leakage. Mm. I think the 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 methane leakage is a significantly less worse than the actual CO two release. Mm. Methane does us the favor of decaying on its own. Mm-hmm. So rather than CO2, which until we actively pull it out of the atmosphere, we'll it's just going to hang out forever. Yeah. So, but methane is a much more potent greenhouse gas. So I would say it like this. We live in the, under the illusion, or mm-hmm. people live under the illusion, not all of us, that we can fix global warming quickly. Mm-hmm. And because of that, that we think that even though methane has a short half-life, in ability take quickly it is still important because this global warming can be fixed quickly so let's don't do this mm-hmm. however i would say it's more likely that it will take four to five possibly even decades even possibly even a century to fix global warming yeah and in this regard pulling out more methane which will decay into which will decay after into a, with a half-life of 12 years is a significantly better idea than putting out more CO2. So wherever turquoise hydrogen could be used, I would Mm -hmm. advocate for using it. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Last one. Red. Or sometimes pink. Let's do it. Let's do it. Tell me what this is all about. There are conflicting ideas what the color (laughs) would be. I think mm-hmm. the Russians once said it was red and the French once said it was pink, but it's hydrogen made with a nuclear electricity or nuclear mm-hmm. energy to be more specific. I mean, you, you could potentially do it even without electricity, but the methods involving electricity are more promising. Mm-hmm. So like hydro has the advantage of being always on. Nuclear has the advantage mm-hmm. of being always on. So you will utilize your electrolyzers significantly more efficient you will use them just as efficient as, as hydro, potentially even more, because even hydro, especially now that we experience significant climate change, will become less, uh, is less reliable than nuclear. It will become even more, uh, will become even less reliable than nuclear in the future. Mm-hmm. Never as little um, in reliability as when in solar, but, le- but it's worse than nuclear. So nuclear um, allows you to have higher capacity factors and more reliability. Um, it will put less strain on your electrolyzers. You will use them mm-hmm. more efficiently. You will l- use the resources that you need to put into them more efficiently, the, the labor that you need to maintain them and the money that you need to invest into them. So just in the, in, just from the capacity factor and the reliability making mm-hmm. hydrogen from nuclear 
will cost you roughly around dollar per kilogram for the electrolyzer part compared to four, three, mm-hmm. rather five for renewables just for the electrolyzers. So this is really important. What's, what's, more, what's also important is the evaporation enthalpy of water. Hmm. And what this means is the energy required to turn a certain amount of water into steam. Mm-hmm. And this energy required is incredibly large. You, roll, you use almost, you use is precisely two thirds of a kilowatt hour to turn a kilogram of water into steam. Mm-hmm. So doing this one sixth of the energy required to turn liquid water into hydrogen Mm-hmm. It's essentially just spent on turning the liquid water into steam. So going from liquid water to gaseous hydrogen, you essentially also go from liquid to gaseous and you have to spend the evaporation enthalpy of hydrogen. But what's even worse is that some combu- most combustion processes don't allow you that to recoup that energy loss. Mm. Because accessing this energy that you put in requires you to condense the water. So compare that in your car. In your car, you would only want the water from your exhaust gas system to condense after it leaves the pistons. Problem, mm-hmm. at this point, you can't use it in your engine anymore. So gotcha. all, in, all internal combustion engine can't use this evaporation enthalpy. External combustion engines can use it, but this would uh, mean that you have to have a heat exchanger in which the exhaust gases are, are recondensed into water, which adds complexity in cost. So sure. you spend energy on the evaporation enthalpy in making the hydrogen with electricity that you can never get out or almost never get out. And even when you can, only with great cost. So this is a drawback of cold electrolysis, where you have liquid water and turn mm-hmm. it into gaseous hydrogen. Another process would be steam electrolysis. Gaseous mm-hmm. hyd- water turn into gaseous hydrogen. The benefit of this is the evaporation enthalpy is already overcome. Another mm-hmm. enthalpy benefit is since the steam will be hot, it comes at a higher energy level and will need less energy electricity to turn the steam into hydrogen than turning the water into hydrogen regardless of the evaporation enthalpy. But the evaporation enthalpy is a huge deal. And nuclear energy gives you process heat. And it even gives you really hot process. Uh, mm-hmm. For a similar process, hard enough process heat. There are ideas of using geothermal energy to make steam for steam hydrolysis. But that would limit the steam temperature to below 180 degrees. So the steam would be very would have very little density. So it would mm-hmm. require you to build massive electrolyzers. Nuclear can make steam at close to 300 degrees at least. Hotter reactors even to 500 or potentially in the future, maybe 800 degrees. So now you are talking about steam that can still be steam at pressures up to 70 bars. So this gives you an advantage. This steam is more conductive Mm -hmm. than the lower temperature steam. First from the increased density, second from the increased temperature. As, as I said earlier, in making electrolyzers, you want to have be the water as conductive as possible. This gives you an advantage. Right. Another advantage, right. it's not that the hotter steam electrolysis over the colder electro- steam electrolysis have, is the, the electrolyzers can be significantly more compact, which makes them easier to construct. Mm-hmm. So steam electrolysis in itself gives you an advantage in that it overcomes the evaporation enthalpy with heat and not with more expensive electricity. Hmm. 
and the even the and the more warmer your steam electrolysis process gets, the more efficient it will become. So light water reactors will power this significantly more efficient and more cross-effective than geothermal. Warmer reactors like the sodium reactors will be even more efficient than the light water reactors could be. And potentially the high temperature gas reactors in degrees between 800 and 900 degrees, they could be incredibly efficient. And potentially even you could use processes like sulfur iodine, which hmm. is a pure thermolysis process where nuclear process heat or process heat in general is turned directly into hydrogen. But um, this process involves using hot sulfuric acid and by hot, mm -hmm. I mean thousand degrees. So using this process will put a lot of material constraints on whatever device or does this process. Mm -hmm. So I'm not that bullish on sulfur iodine, but I'm more bullish gotcha. on the steam electrolysis process. Okay, cool. Wow. Okay. So we have a few avenues to pursue here. It seems clear what's realistic and what isn't. And as ever, it sounds like we need way more nuclear energy. Of course. This, All right. There's no other way. Yeah, there's no I'm other way. I, I, I'm sorry. If 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 there would be, I would I would ever would be advocating for it. But yeah. learning more about about it essentially just makes one more sad about the way we are going with putting mm -hmm. so much of our eggs in this wind and solar bastard. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. So, did we miss anything? Did we leave anything out? Um, I think one thing that could be mentioned um, mm -hmm. is when we discuss hydrogen over synth fuels. So, I mean, this isn't, we wanted to do um, podcasts on synth fuels. And now I've talked yeah. uh, like what, half an hour about hydrogen. And so when we talk about hydrogen and synth fuels, there are two things we, we would need to discuss. And that is that we would make, of course, the synth fuels from hydrogen mm -hmm. partially. Mm -hmm from hydrogen carbon, or the idea of using hydrogen instead of carbon, of hydrocarbon fuels. Right. So I think what's, what we need to discuss about this is that hydrogen is an extremely volatile molecule. Storing and transporting it is hard. Liquefying it, turning it into mm -hmm. liquid hydrogen, into a cryogenic fuel, which has been a staple of water tree for the last five decades, but many now hope to do like we are doing it with liquefied methane with LNG is incredibly energy intensive mm. and it boils off. This is the reason why the space industry avoids hydrogen for its upper stages, which is where efficiency matters the most. Hydrogen mm. engines are more efficient in rockets than other engines. But the problem is that hydrogen boils off in the tanks. So the longer the stage of a rocket is on the mission, the more hydrogen would boil off. So gotcha. for rocket stages, which are in flight for a long time, hydrogen is generally not used because you it would drain too much of your tank for just nothing. So this is also the main reason why, for example, SpaceX has completely abandoned hydrogen for their Starship to go to Mars. By the time you would arrive at Mars, 30% of the fuel in your tanks that you need to to do the burn to enter the Martian atmosphere and then slow down, will be gone. And this isn't the case with methane. You will have some boil off with liquid methane, but it will be barely anything compared to hydrogen. So this is a huge issue, the boil off and the energy to liquefy it. Liquefying hmm. methane will take you 10% of the energy that is stored in the methane. 
Liquid refined hydrogen will take you 38% of the energy that is stored in the hydrogen. Also, compressing the hydrogen could be a possibility. But hydrogen, even liquefied or compressed, has incredibly terrible energy density compared to an organic petrol or... Sure, unlike any of the others, yeah. Significantly, several times lower than those. But you still need to compress a lot of volume of gas to at an extremely high temperature pressure, which will need a lot of energy. So even if you use compressed hydrogen, you will still be talking about 10 to 20% of the energy stored in the hydrogen put in, being put into the compression project process. Yeah. So using hydrogen directly as a fuel is energy inefficient in itself. And I think another problem that we have with hydrogen and that especially environmentally minded folks mm-hmm. and can't stop talking about is the methane leakage. Right, yeah, yeah, as we were saying. Surprise, surprise, hydrogen leads as well, and hydrogen also significantly worsens global warming. It isn't mm. a greenhouse gas in itself, but it extends the life of greenhouse gases like methane or nitrogen oxide. Mm, So it will not in itself cause more global warming, but it will lengthen the time into which those other greenhouse gases will be active in the atmosphere. And thus larger amounts of those gases can accumulate. And so hydrogen is not climate neutral, so to say. Mm-hmm. So the, and it is extremely inefficient. This is what, especially compared to to the idea of making a synthetic fuel, synthetic hydrocarbon, which mm-hmm. people object because you would lose some of the hyd- energy stored in the hydrogen in making the hydrocarbons, and there are fears of it not being entirely net negative in greenhouse gas emissions. Well, hydrogen isn't because we will have always have leakage. And you will probably even see even worse losses of ener- in, in the energy when compressing or liquefying the, ener- the hydrogen compared to turning the hydrogen into a hydrocarbon. And the hydrocarbon can be stored much better, can be used and burned more efficiently, and would require less retooling of our energy infrastructure. So all the supposed benefits mm. for which people want to use hydrogen as a pre- replacement for petrol or diesel or kerosene, I think aren't really valid. In any gotcha. sense, I think hydrogen is worse than making synthetic hydrocarbons. Right, right. Just, uh, yeah, an inferior alternative. That makes sense to me. Yeah. And okay. especially the, the leakage issue. I mean, yeah. you would make hydrogen Tiny for the particles. Synthet- Of course, you would make the hydrogen for the synthetic fuels as well. Mm-hmm. However, you would make it in situ and produce it just in time, especially with nuclear, where you don't have to flatten out production heights, but just have flat production all the time, which you then turn into flat production of synthetic hydrocarbons. The hydrogen is made in situ and just in time. So it won't barely be, will barely be transported mm-hmm. and will barely be stored. So barely anything will leak. Compare that to the idea of putting it on thousands of ships into tens of thousands of pipelines, into mm-hmm. tens of millions of tens of from cars to tractors to airplanes. Right. You will um, give the hydrogen so many, oppo- so many um, cases where it can leak that yes, some hydrogen will leak in the process of making synthetic hydrocarbons, but we will we will be talking about orders of magnitude less 
so little that it won't really be a problem compared to the hydrogen, which will become a greenhouse gas problem mm. as soon as we will start using a significant amount of it. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense to me. Like, I, it's, it's hard to get people to keep it realistic. I think everybody wants their magic bullet. Everybody, like you said, the iconoclasm, everybody wants their, their flashy, fancy thing. But at the end of the day, we're talking about real stuff that needs to work reliably and affordably in the everyday world. It's similar with, I think, with, with, with nuclear reactors as well, where people, people see molten salt or tricer reactors, because I think it's easier and more convenient, especially for one's own mind, to blame the shortcomings of nuclear on the evilness of the light water reactors. <laughs> rather than admitting that the nuclear energy sector made mistakes and that our political class made even worse mistakes. Yes. Which is extremely sad because the light water reactor, unlike what, uh, and also the heavy water reactor, unlike what so many nuke bros will tell you, isn't an expensive or unsafe design. Mm -hmm. Honestly, I would make the case that it is the most really and safe design out there. And it will remain that way for a long time, potentially forever. Well, that reminds me. Well, we're done with our synth fuel series because we'll likely have a few more episodes to do on this together. We should do a nuclear reactor series. That could be 20 episodes we're talking about. <laughs> we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. But for now, I want to thank you for coming on. I learned a ton from this people i hope you learned a ton from this and we're gonna keep doing it because everybody needs a little more fluency and a little more visibility and what's actually going on with energy in our world especially as things get weirder and more difficult so noah thanks for coming on people who want to reach out to Noah, thank you for having me yeah and and follow him and learn more from him his twitter will be in the show notes but for now stay sharp Stay strong and stay radiant. And we will see you next time. Goodbye. Okay,